Um, I went to learn about uh, the gift of prophecy. Uh, I wanted to learn from Bruce, and he told me the only way to learn is to do it. And he invited me to go with this team to South Africa, which is a long way to go to, to learn something. Um, so uh, we landed in Johannesburg, and there were six of us in the team, and the guy who met us, practically his first words were, we were only expecting five of you, we only have hospitality for five. And I thought, well, I was the last person to join the team, so it looks as if I may be returning rather swiftly back to England. Uh, however, they did find me hospitality. We spent just one night on that, uh, on that visit in Johannesburg, um, I then went to Port Elizabeth for about six or seven days and then returned to Johannesburg for another five or six days uh, to the Church of St. Luke Orchards. And um, I felt very homesick on that first night. It was a long way. And I missed my wife and daughter very much indeed. And I'd ne never done this before. Um, and I hadn't received much instruction from Bruce. Uh, he's that sort of guy. Uh, but I have to say, um, um, I wandered into the church from the church hall on my own, in my ignorance, and I went and sat in the middle of the church. I didn't know that the team came in later and they sat at the front. So the other five came in and they sat at the front and I was sitting part way back. Uh, but what I felt, and this is the reason for telling you this, is um, while I had felt homesick and extremely nervous, I knew that standing or sitting in that pew in that church was where I was meant to be. This was the place to be. A few weeks ago, um, it looked as if I wasn't going to be preaching in our church this term. So I, I prayed to God and I said, Lord, I want to preach about you and I want to share about you. That was it, really. Within 24 hours, I'd received a, a phone call from a church in Darwin who'd been let down by someone. Could I possibly go that Sunday? I had no idea. Well, I had a very, very, very vague idea about this church, but not a lot. And so I checked with my wife. <laughs> and um, phoned them back, said, yes, I'll come. And then at the end of the conversation, the lady said... You'll be all right. We have a spare chasuble. <laughs> and I discovered, I discovered when I got there, uh, the notice sheet said, we welcome Father George Thomas. <laughs> and I discovered I was celebrating the mass of the quiet hour. You know what? It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And so I received that, and I also received a, a list of dates from St. Stephen's Preston. You may be familiar with that place. And, um, and that was the answer to the prayer, you see. So the point of telling you this is this is where I'm meant to be on this evening. And the singing tonight is wonderful. Absolutely great. Great to be here. And now that's by way of preface. What I'd like you to do, if you would, I'd like you to close your eyes, if that's okay.
And the thing is, by the time you open them, I've left, you see. <laughs> now, if you close your eyes, and I'd just like you to imagine, if you would, uh, the seashore, that you're standing uh, on the seashore, and you're looking out to sea, and the waves are coming in. They're not pounding in. They're coming in steadily, steadily, firmly, but steadily. So you, you look at these waves and you see them and you stay with that for a few moments. And then you uh, look towards the horizon and the sea is, is fairly calm. But perhaps what you need to know is the waves that are lapping on the shore start way out. They start way out and they keep coming. They keep coming. You can't see the whole of the sea, but the waves are coming and they're lapping on the seashore. Now you, you can open your eyes, if you will. Um, the, the image you've just had is, of course, uh, is made up in your mind. Um, but what I want to say, just as we begin to look at this passage, is that the waves are the waves of God's grace. And God's grace keeps coming. It just keeps coming. His grace just keeps coming, keeps coming. Just like the waves lapping the seashore. And it perhaps starts way back. It starts way back somehow. And it keeps coming to you steadily, reliably, inevitably. Just keeps coming, God's grace. Wave after wave after wave. And now we're going to look at this passage. And when I read this passage, my immediate thought was, let's find another one. <laughs> Shouldn't say this about God's word, but there must be an alternative. Um, but no, this was the passage to stay with. Uh, paying taxes to Caesar. Okay, a little bit of background. Uh, you perhaps already know this, I don't know, but th this is a setup. You've got Pharisees and Herodians and they come to Jesus to catch him out so that they can besmirch his name and eventually do, do him in. Um, the Pharisees, you see, didn't agree with the tax. They didn't agree with it because it was being paid to Caesar and they were a, um, what's the word, occupied country. They were an occupied country, occupied by the Romans. Caesar was the, in charge, the leader, so they, you know, he wasn't the flavour of the month with them. Also, the coin bore the image of Caesar, and there was a bit of a um, uh, suggestion that, they were, that he, was, he was God, and so therefore they were given money to an idol. So the Pharisees were totally against this tax. On the other hand, the Herodians, who also made up part of the group, Right, they were for the tax. 
They were for it because Caesar gave public office to people who were Herodians. So you see, they knew they had Jesus here. He would know that these two parties were against each other and each wanted a different answer from him. Um, uh, the Bible commentary that, that I looked at when I was uh, preparing this is called the Broadman Bible Commentary. Anyone got a copy of anything like that? It was given to me at Theological College and um, I, find it really, I find it really good. It's like all commentaries. Uh, the difficult verses in the Bible, it, it's completely silent about when you really want to know an answer. It's just not there. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's, it's very good. And it's also, it also helps you uh, on a personal level. Now, the one thing that it said in that commentary, which I really liked, was that when you're sitting on a fence, and you know, that's what they expected of Jesus, to sit on the fence, or they're, they're suggesting it's impossible to sit on the fence, because you're going to have to come down on Pharisee side or Herodian side, it's one or the other, um, you, you, you know, if you're on the fence, you have to get down off the fence. Except it suggests that what Jesus does, I'd never thought of this before, and I suspect you may not have told either, you can always destroy the fence. Now, that's good, isn't it? That's thinking outside the box as far as I'm concerned. You can also always destroy the fence. And that, in a sense, is what Jesus does. Um, so he gives that famous answer, you know, pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are, are God's. In other words, typical of Jesus, he is saying, in a sense, work it out for yourself. He's saying to them, Caesar's in control, chaps and chapesses. Get used to it. Work it out. But also... <coughs> Give to God what is God. So, you see, they go away a bit flummoxed because it's not the answer they were expecting. It's far more complicated and they have to do some working out on their own. Now, I don't know what the teaching has been in this church over the centuries, over the past decades, on, on giving. I have no idea. But I'm going to throw some things into the mix OK, this is when people begin to look at their watches. Can we go now, please? He's talking about giving. Well, it won't be that bad. It'll be worse. No. Um, and, and in one of my previous talks here, I asked the question, who or what defines your life? And so tonight, the question is, who or what defines how you give to the Lord? And there, would be, there have been certainly two people who have influenced my thinking about our offerings, giving, Sunday by Sunday. One of them is R.T. Kendall, you've heard of him, and the other is Sandy Miller. You've heard of him, perhaps? Okay. Now, I've got quite a number of books by R.T. Kendall at home. I don't think I've got any by Sandy Miller. I don't even know if Sandy's actually written anything, but I, I, I don't know. Now then... Um, R.T. Kendall is absolutely sold out on tithing. All right? Absolutely sold out. Um, I've got about eight books by him. The, the smallest, slimmest, shortest book is called The Gift of Giving. And he said to the publishers he would, he would write this book on one condition that they sold it for less than a pound. And they said yes, 
so long as his church, that's Westminster Chapel in London, bought the first 1,000 copies. <laughs> and it was a bestseller, his only bestseller, he says. Now, in that book, um, and in, in his teaching, um, he argues that we should give one-tenth. And he bases that on quite a lot of scripture in, in the book. Um, he refers to Luke chapter 18 with the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee says, you know, I'm really good, I'm super duper. I, I do this, that and the other. And he includes the fact that he tithes. And, and, and Artie Kendall is saying that this is, this is some of the evidence towards the fact that Jesus sort of affirms that. Um, you, you may not agree with everything I say, because I don't agree with everything I say either. Um, he also refers to that passage in Malachi, a part of which I will read. Um, Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 8 following. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, uh, that and other scriptures R.T. Uh, uses as proof that tithing is the, what every Christian should do. And, and he, uh, if you read his little book, he is extremely, some people would say he's very strict about it. Um, he also teaches that the word storehouse there and elsewhere in scripture actually refers to the church. So RT's teaching is, you give a tenth of your income to the church and if you give to charities, if you give anything else, that in, is in addition to the tenth. He argues against giving part of your tenth to a charity outside the church and the rest of it to the church. He's, he's very clear on that and he sees uh, no alternative. Um, when I... Um, used to teach about teaching there, there's an example I used to use which I, I'm still quite amazed by I used to take ten smarties ten smarties and pretend I was uh, talking uh, having a meeting with God um, who just happened to like smarties as well and I would say to God well, I've got ten smarties here I guess you'd like all of them and God says no, I'll just have one. And I say, well, what do I do with the other nine? And he says, you can keep the other nine. And I say, really, do you, you only want one of these smarties. You could have two, you could have, you could have them all, you know. And he says, no, I'll have one, you have nine. And I think to myself, that's not a bad deal. You have one, uh, you have nine, I'll have one, God says. When you put it like that, you know, tithing, we, we get the majority. We keep the majority. It's not bad, that is it? It's not bad. 
So that, that's a quick summary of RT's teaching and an illustration from George Thomas. Uh, uh, by the way, you won't find the Smarties example in any of RT Kendall's writings. Um, now then, Sandy, Sandy Miller, um, I was at Theological College with Sandy. Uh, for about a year we overlapped, he was, he was ahead of me. Um, uh, Sandy Miller became the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton. Um, uh, I, I am ashamed to confess that I kept, I kept Sandy to a certain degree at, at arm's length. Because Sandy was part of a group at Theological College who used to go into college chapel during the week with guitars and things, and they used to raise their hands and they used to speak in tongues. And I thought, thank you very much, but I'm not coming. Mm. I, I've learned a thing or two since then. Um, and they did that sort of thing. And he was very posh, unlike me from Bootle. Uh, he was very posh. He had been a barrister. He'd lived next door to Sir Alec Douglas Hume, and he was the only student at college whose children had a nanny. A lovely man. Absolutely lovely man. So, when I was uh, in, in Chorley, uh, I watched a DVD produced by Holy Trinity Brompton with Sandy um, doing the teaching. And, and Sandy taught something slightly different to R.T. Kendall, um, in that uh, he, he used verses from 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, uh, which I will now read to you. 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will." Uh, isn't that lovely? They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. They gave out of their poverty and they gave more than was expected. And then in verse 9, you'll probably be familiar with these words as well, Paul writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now Sandy, with his lovely, almost beatific smile on this DVD, was saying... God loves a cheerful giver. He was saying, give, give what your heart teaches you to give. Give what your heart teaches you. There was no mention, as I recall, of any instruction about a tithe. It was about grace. It was about giving from the heart. And, and Joan and I, um, Joan and I, when they were doing the tour of the country with, uh, a long time ago, the Alpha course, we went to Salford and, and Sandy was there. And so we went to the front and renewed our acquaintance with him. And he prayed over us. 
And he prayed prophetically over Jonah and myself. And those prophetic word, words proved to be right because it wasn't long after that that I went to South Africa. And we went down to Holy Trinity Brompton to a Times of Refreshing a conference. Um, and I remember a little bit of the teaching, but what I remember most of all, what struck Joan and myself beyond anything else whatsoever, any other teaching, was the grace of the people. The absolute grace of the people of the church. In simp just simply meeting with them, you know, having refreshments, being directed to this place and that, because we had to go to certain places for meals. Um, it was the grace of the people that really struck us. And, and I think I may have mentioned previously, you know, John and I were brought up in a church in, in Bootle, St. Matthew's Bootle, where we came to faith. And um, we took St. Matthew's Bootle and the fellowship of that church as the model that we wanted to replicate wherever we served. They weren't perfect. They fell out with each other and they argued. I think I may have mentioned that on one occasion the, the vicar refused to give communion to three uh, married couples. Eight o'clock communion, refused to give them communion. You're supposed to consult the bishop before you do that. And there was a right hoo-ha and they all forgave each other and they all got on with the job. And that's what Joel... And so each time Joel and I had difficulty in ministry, we went through the same cycle. You know, these are a, a lousy lot. Right, a lousy lot. We'll ask God to take us somewhere else, lead us somewhere else. All right, let's go somewhere else. What have the bishop got to offer us? You know, what's really nice? <laughs> and then round to, why were you called here, George and Joan? We were called here to love the people. When we got back to loving the people, we were back on track. Grace. So Sandy really teaches about grace and about um, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then there is, of course, the widow's might. She gives the lot. Have you ever given away your last fiver? Have you ever opened your purse or your wallet and put the whole contents, without counting it first of all, onto the offering? Have you ever given the whole lot and not regretted it and walked out of the church knowing that was the right thing to do? Because the grace of God was active in your life and he was saying, not by compulsion, but by my spirit, I'd like you to make this offering. So there are um, two different uh, teachings about giving. Um, and now as we come to a conclusion, all of this, all of this that I've said up to now is is heading, you don't know this, but I do, because I've got it written down here. We're, we're heading to two questions. Okay. And these are the two questions. What if 
God was to say to you, I want you to give an extra £10 per month in your offering. Now, I'm using £10 because when I was thinking and praying about this, that was what came to mind. We'll stick with that. Supposing God says to you, I want you to give me an extra £10 a month in your offering. That's one question. The second question is, what would you do if God said to you, I want you to give me £10 less a month in your offering? Now, why do I ask those two questions? I tell you why, because I'm hoping it's a bit like Jesus does. He gives people conundrums which they have to go away and think out themselves. I have to admit it's a slight problem I have with RT. His teaching is very severe in some parts, very severe, I think, over strict. And I wonder whether... I don't think he'd work for Christians Against Poverty, those of you who might know that organisation, because he says you still have to pay your tithe, even if you're in debt. Well, our daughter is the uh, manager at our church for Christians Against Poverty, and I've been on visits with her, and you know, I just think that would be so ungracious to say to people, or teach people who aren't Christians, that's the way to do it. Anyway, that, that, that's by the by, that's by the by. Um, but I hope this is in the style of Jesus. So I, we're just going to be quiet just for a few moments. And there are those two questions. And I, I just want you to, to give, if you would, just a bit of reflective thought. So God says to you, I want you to give me £10 more in your offering per month. And or he says to you, I want you to give me £10 less in your offering per month. We just have a few moments of quiet. So, one of my reasons for asking those two questions is this. It, it goes back to Jesus and the coin. And he says to them, whose image is this? And so I want to ask you a further question is, what's your image of God? <coughs> is your image of God someone who's more likely to ask you to give him more or to give him less? Do you think it's unlikely he'll ever say to you, I want you to give me less? Or do you think that's very unlikely of God to do that? What sort of God is in your mind? What's the image of him that you carry with you? Is he always demanding more of you that you find it difficult to come up with the goods? I don't mean just money. 
So is it a strain to follow him? Because he's a hard master. He's a hard taskmaster. Is that the image of God you have? You know, sometimes I think we carry images of God and we don't realise until we're asked some pertinent soul-searching questions. I, I, a few years ago, I, I wasn't well. Ours, at this point, would be appropriate. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of energy. <laughs> and, and you know that shop called Inspirations at the Capital Centre? Well, Joe needed to go there to pick something up. And so we go, because she, she you know, craft stuff. Unfortunately, there was a bench. And so instead of wandering around looking for stuff, I was able to sit on this bench. I really like this bench. <laughs> it was there just for me, that, to have a rest. So I sat on this bench. And I don't know what started my train of thought, but I, I began to think about images of God. And I thought, you know, you know, when you're in need, what's my image of God? And I had this image of God as a Texan millionaire with a big, big cowboy hat and a cigar and you know, very flamboyant and, and walking around the place chucking out fivers and tenors and 20 pounds, 100 pound notes, you know, you know very liberally, and show, big show off, you know. I thought, that's not a good image of God, is it? It's not a good image. So, and, and then I was looking right down to the end of this store and it was almost like I saw Jesus and he was standing he was standing just like that he was standing like that and I just got this, this, this sense that Jesus was saying you just come to me because you know I'm just, I'm just open to you I'm just I'm here for you and you know, these hands, they've suffered for you because I love you so much. And, and, and I'm just here. You know, I'm not the flamboyant uh, Texan. I'm, I'm the saviour. I'm the saviour. And I thought, I just thought that was lovely. So what's your image of God and Jesus? And how does that determine what you give? And all sorts of other things. We could, you know, you could have another a talk on this about and how does it determine your time and how you use your gifts and all that sort of thing. But tonight, because of the passage, it's been about what you give. And you might like to uh, reflect on that. And as you reflect, remember the waves of grace the waves of God's grace that keep on coming they keep on coming and you know when Jesus says repent as the guy who wrote the God of Surprises wrote can anyone remember who wrote the God of Surprises I can't either Roman Catholic writer God of Surprises by Gerard Hughes when Jesus said repent, it was a warm invitation. Isn't that lovely? It was a warm invitation. It wasn't, 
Repent, you sinners. Grovel in the dirt, because I'm God and I'm perfect, and you are unholy and unworthy. It was, come on board, join the team. Just like me joining the team in South Africa. Join the team. Great, isn't it? Let's pray. Father God, we wonder how we manage to exist without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving care. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you that you are the God of grace and mercy and love. And that Jesus is our saviour and he died on the cross to save us. We pray that we will know your grace abounding in our lives. We pray that if we have images of you, Father God, which are a, a bit out of sync, are not in line with your character, your nature and your love, just, just by your grace, uh, refocus the image, please. Just refocus it. So that our understanding of you is more of the real you. So we're asking, become more real to us in these next few hours tomorrow. And may whatever we do, whether it's with our money, our time, our gifts, or whatever, whatever, may we do it out of love for you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. The Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. Amen.